move into uh, his first sermon in, in Nazareth. And let me say a couple of things as intro. First is this. I preached this sermon the first month of the life of our church. Not exactly this. Again, I apologize to all the people who are here in the first six months of our, okay, five years of our church. Um, because uh, I had never preached before. Oh, I had preached, but I had one sermon that I preached every time somebody asked me to speak. So I only had one sermon, so after one week I was done. Uh, we started the church, and then we, I started doing other sermons, and I would uh, listen to somebody preach, and, and I'd preach like them that week. And then the next week I listened to somebody else and I preached like them. So, you know, everybody who came to fullness the first years felt like they were getting a different imitation of a preacher from somewhere else, a bad imitation of a preacher from somewhere else. So hopefully I found my, I'm not saying I'm great now, but at least I found kind of who I am for good or bad. So anyway, this is a really important word. I think this sermon, this passage is critical for who we are as a church. It's critical to my theology, uh, and I'll just state that straight out, that for who I am and what I believe the church is about, uh, this passage is, is critical. And my thought here is that many times we as the church lose sight of who we are. I hesitate to use this illustration because whenever I talk about politics, somebody gets mad at me. Uh, but I'm going to use it anyway. Um, so just let, try and love me and give me grace as I talk this morning. And um, hear, hear my heart in what I'm about to say. I've been off social media and out of media for 21 days during our time of fasting and prayer. So this morning early, Kathy comes to me and says, why are people so mad at Nick Saban? Why, why are they mad on social media? Why are they mad at Nick Saban? I said, well, probably because he lost the game. And she said, no, no, it has something to do with a letter to West Virginia. I'm like, oh, I did, I, something seeped through my stuff um, where he had written a letter to Joe Manchin, who is a senator from West Virginia, about the voting rights legislation that was being considered last week. So I told Kathy my limited knowledge about this letter he had written encouraging him to vote for the voting rights legislation that didn't get passed. Anyway, I, I don't understand all of what Saban may have said or didn't say. And so she was like, well, what's up with this voting rights legislation? And I'm like, wow, how do I explain this in a short-term conversation? Because I really didn't want to get into it. Um, I, I didn't... It's, it's complicated. And I, I said to her, you know, uh, there was a bill that was being introduced that would make uh, voting rights kind of equal across all the states and have a national holiday and voting by mail and had to do with voter ID. And she goes, well, why, why would you be against that? And I said, well, that's a good question why you would be against that. Um, it could be that for our, the history of our country, we had states' rights, and this is an incursion on states' rights by the federal government. And also, we have a long history. And I said, okay, let me boil it down to this. One group wants to stay in power, and one group wants to be in power. And who votes gets to determine who's in power. And I was getting a little worked up because I really didn't want to have the conversation. 
but it made me think, what are we doing here? What are we doing here when we think we can control the vote to keep one group in power or extend the vote to keep another group in power? I, I understand that in states like Alabama, and again, this is where I should probably stop. I understand what, where in states like Alabama, when we moved here, Kathy and I moved here 30 years ago, and we went to vote, we didn't have to show a voter, we didn't have to show any kind of ID. We just walked in and said our name. Hey, I'm, Bar I'm John Brookins, I live over here. And, and I thought that was nuts. You know, personally, I'm like, that's crazy. Anybody could go in and say they're John Brookins. Uh, by the way, John's my first name, in case some of you are shocked or like, well, why is he saying his name is John Brookins? Well, that's my first name. So, I, I, and it had to do with voter suppression in Alabama. For years, there's part of the, a federal, um, a court-ordered mandate about IDs and the fact that Alabama did a workaround where everybody should vote, but African-Americans, they made it more complicated for them to get an ID to even be able to go in and vote, so they had Anyway, it's, it's gone crazy over the years. And I don't know where you stand on this issue. That's not the point. My point is this. America claims to be one thing, but is it really? Is it really? What are we doing here? My question, though, more importantly, is this. What is the church? What are we doing here? What is it we're supposed to be doing here? Now, some of you may not get past my whole voter illustration, but I, I'm trying to, to point us to say, just even that stirs us up a little bit. What should really stir us up, though, is what has God called us to do as, uh, uh, as the church of Jesus Christ? Uh, my contention is this, and I'll, I'll die on this. We stand above politics. We stand above culture. We stand above any other group or organization, we are a part of the kingdom of God. We have a calling on our life as the church of Jesus Christ, the saints who are, who are supposed to be held up to the light of the glory of God so that when his light hits us, the, the multifaceted wisdom of God, according to Ephesians, is, it, it goes to every corner of the world. But I look around at times at the church and say, what are we doing here? What is it we're supposed to be doing? And I'm just feeding forward to tell you that my belief is this. We're to be doing what Jesus did when he was here. We are called the body of Christ for a reason. We are his body. Well, Jesus, when he was in bodily form here on earth, told us what he was going to do, and showed us what to do. We are to be doing the same thing. And I think that's what happens here in Luke, um, chapter 4, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth to preach. So just follow along with me as I kind of comment on some things here and go forward. Here's Luke 4, 14 and 15. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Jesus in Luke is coming from the baptism to the temptations to a ministry in Galilee. 
Now, Luke, again, remember, I'll try not to teach too much and stick to the preaching part, but Luke has a specific purpose in his gospel. He's wanting to show his readers that Jesus Christ is here to touch people in all humanity. And so his chronology, so to speak, is going to be different than Mark and Matthew. As a matter of fact, when this Galilean, this great Galilean ministry, which is going to run from chapter 4 to chapter 9 in Luke, is, is pretty extensive. And so there's a lot that's going to be going on. I'll comment more about that in a minute. So he, he returns to Galilee. And again, how is Jesus led? By the power of the Spirit. We see this over and over again. Spirit comes upon him at baptism. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He's filled with the Spirit in the temptation experience. Now, afterwards, he's led by the Spirit. He returns to Galilee. And this is something about his ministry which I think should speak to us. We should be a Spirit-empowered people. What we do, we do by the power of the Spirit who indwells us and fills us and leads us and directs us. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him, it was a very well-known. The news about him was spreading all over the place. It's, he was teaching in their synagogue. It was synagogue-based. If you look at Jesus' original ministry, there was, he was teaching in their synagogues. Not just the synagogue in Nazareth, which he'll be in in just a moment, but throughout Galilee, when he would go into a city, he would teach in the synagogue, which had a specific form of kind of teaching. I'm not going to get into it a long term, but he would go in, read a scripture, and comment on it. But, and he was very... Ooh, I got too carried away. Can you go back one, please, Mona? He, he, he taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Everyone praised him. And Again, in Matthew 4.23, it talks about him going throughout Galilee, healing diseases. This is in that, that Galilean ministry that he's doing. And it's very, everyone praised him. They praised him for his teaching. They praised him for his healing. They praised him for the power of setting people free. He was doing the stuff, so to speak. John Wimber used to talk about that all the time. John Wimber was a, uh, the one who started the vineyard. And he got saved. He was a keyboard player for the Righteous Brothers and... He came out of um, that ministry. If you ever heard his testimony, and he, 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 somebody gave him a Bible, and he started reading the Bible, and then he started going to church, and uh, so he said to someone in church, hey, when do we get to start doing the stuff? And somebody said, what stuff? Well, the stuff Jesus did. You know, like healing, setting people free, casting out demons, seeing people get saved. When do we get to do the stuff? And they said, oh, we... We don't really do that stuff anymore. He found a place where they did the stuff. And then he started a church that did the stuff. I want to look at Jesus' ministry and mission this morning because, again, I think it, it, it's critical for us to receive and for us to know, what in the world are we doing here? Right? Don't you think that'd be important? I don't know why you think we gather every Sunday morning, uh, but there's got to be a reason for why we're doing what we're doing. And I want us to be on the same page and for you to understand where, where I'm coming from and hopefully where the church is coming from. So the first point is this. Jesus is going to go into Nazareth and he's going to proclaim what his mission is. So the first point is this. Here's the king's mission. 
verses 16 and 17. I'm going to comment on this as we go along through these three points, and hopefully uh, it'll, it'll make sense to you. Uh, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, that's Saturday Sabbath, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, look up here for a second. Jesus goes into the synagogue. He's very popular. I mean, when this sermon happened in Nazareth, He's already been preaching throughout Galilee. So word has come that Jesus is back in town. He's already established from other gospels we know. His, his hometown is going to become Capernaum, where he's going to be established. But he's going back to the city in which he was raised, Nazareth. So now the word has gotten out. He's very popular. He's widely known. He's been doing a lot of miracles. Homeboy's coming back to town, and he's going to be in the synagogue. And so the place is probably packed that day to hear Jesus teach. Let's see how the, how the boy raised here, now that he's coming back, let's, let's hear how he's doing. So he takes the scroll from the prophet Isaiah, and he reads from Isaiah 61. Now here's Isaiah 61. It says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Then it says, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. That phrase, I underline it because that's not in the Luke passage. But it's included in the, the ideas of the others. And then he goes, this is Isaiah 61 again, to proclaim freedom for the captives, release from the darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. That phrase, and the day of vengeance of our God, is also not in what Jesus read. Now, there commentaries galore on all of this, on why those two phrases are admitted and what, what's going on. Uh, I, I can see why the vengeance of our Lord is not in the passage personally, just because that's not what Jesus is preaching right yet. He's not preaching the day of vengeance. He's preaching more of the coming of who he is. So Jesus reads this passage. Now, as typical in the synagogue, he read a passage standing up, rolled it back up, and then went to sit down where he would probably teach on this passage. So this is called Jesus' Sermon at Nazareth, right? So this cracks me up. Uh, you know, I'm going to preach for um, Lord knows how long this morning. Uh, but um, really, only he knows at this moment. Even I don't know. Um, but Jesus, his sermon is he reads these couple of verses, he goes and sits down, he gives it back to the attendant, and everyone in the synagogue's eyes are fastened on him. I mean, just think of the tension in the room of Jesus has come back, he's become very popular, he reads this passage, and here's his sermon. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today. Now, they understood all the implications of this passage. I mean, it's not one of the suffering servant passages, but they, they understand what he's saying. This is about me. Today, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to do these things. It is an incredible 
proclamation of who he is and what he's come to do. Of all the passages, Jesus could... I mean, when you go... I've had opportunity to preach in churches that I was much younger. You know, like when I was in college or seminary. And whenever I go to those places, I really want to do good. You know what I mean? I want to step it up a level. Um, because I, I, this is my home church. This is where I was raised. This is where I was a boy. And so I always want to make it good. Jesus could have picked any passage to read and comment on, but he picked this one. And I think he picked it for a reason because he's showing who he is and what he came to do. Are you, I know I keep hammering this, but please stay with me as I go through. So what are the things he came to do? The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to do what? Preach the good news to the poor. To proclaim the gospel. And who is poor? All of us spiritually are poor. We're all broken. We're all in need of a Savior. And the gospel, which literally means good news, that's what he's come to say. He is the good news. He's the word made life. He's the word made flesh. He's the good news. He's come to proclaim this good news to the world around. He's, sent, he's been sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Those who are in bondage. You know, every Sunday morning during our ministry time, I pray for bondage to be broken. I pray for chains to be lifted. I pray for freedom to come. He, he's, he's praying, I think, for deliverance from the enemy here, which we need to continue to do. There's, a, there's an element of the evangelistic gospel, good news to the poor. There's an element of freedom for the prisoners, the breaking of demonic strongholds. Recovery of sight for the blind, for those who can't see spiritually, which the, Paul is later going to say, we're all blind, blinded by the God of this age, right? So Jesus has come to proclaim freedom and to proclaim recovery of sight for the blind so that we can see who we really are, to release the oppressed. Again, you could talk about this from a deliverance standpoint, or you could talk about it you know, sometimes oppression and freedom from oppression is a long-term counseling thing. I, th I believe it's a both and. I, I don't have much time to comment on this, but there are a lot of people within Christianity who have, I, I call it a little bunny foo-foo kind of theology. Um, they, they're like going through and they're, they're struggling in life and they're hoping somebody will come along and just bop them on the head. And then everything will be right in their lives, right? And is that not the easiest way? You know, just I'll go from meeting to meeting and hope somebody bops me on the head. And then I'll be free and I'll be, have life and another, I'll have no more problems. I won't have any more struggles. Well, God works like that where freedom is immediate. But there's also the life of spiritual discipline of, of, of walking in freedom from oppression and, and changing the way we do things by the Spirit working his way out from within us. So it's not an either-or proposition, it's a both-and. God does move at times in just incredible freedom, incredible might, incredible power, but at the same time, the Spirit is gradually working his way out from within us through prayer and the body and the reading of the Scripture and all the ways he does to, to help us continue to walk in freedom from oppression so that we can identify the lies of the enemy when he comes against us. See last week's sermon. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
This, this phrase is a euphemism, by the way, for, an, um, means it's another way of saying, um, this is the year of Jubilee. And in the Bible, the year of Jubilee is this. Seven was an important number. So every seven years, something was supposed to happen in the nation of Israel, and then you multiply seven times seven, and you get 49. Thank you, plus one is 50. So every 50 years, the year of Jubilee was supposed to be practiced in the nation of Israel, where uh, land that had been sold would be returned to families, slave people who, in, who had indentured themselves into slavery were to be set free and returned. Things were to happen. It was the year of the Lord's favor. So this was to happen every 50 years in the nation of Israel. By the way, you know how many times they practiced it? As far as we know, none. None. We, we have no record of them, as far as I know, in the Bible ever practicing the year of Jubilee. But it was a great concept, was it not? Again, what are we doing here? Jesus is coming to say, this is it. This is the year of... This is the year of Jubilee. This is what, the year of Jubilee was supposed to be a picture of what was going to happen when Messiah comes. And now he's saying, even that picture, which by the way, he didn't comment on this, but he could have said, which you never did. I am the reality of this. I am the year of Jubilee. I am setting slaves free. I am returning you to your destiny. I am he. This is his mission. What happens next is remarkable. It's the king's rejection. Now, at first, the people, it says in verses 22 and 23, it says, all, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Now, <clears throat> it's hard to read into this. At this point, you're like, and they thought he did good. Good job. And, but then at the same time, they're saying, hey, how did he do, how does he know all this? Isn't this Joseph's son? Don't I have a table made by him? Don't I have some chairs that he worked on one time or his dad did? Or Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, by the way, Mark and Matthew also record that they said, isn't this Mary's son? Which seems a little more derogatory the way they're saying it. Isn't this the unwed mother? Isn't this her kid? I mean, it's got more of a tinge to it than isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Now, what seems to follow from Jesus seems to be really kind of hard compared to how we read this passage. But I think you, you have to see that Jesus sees into their hearts, and though they're speaking well of him, there's something behind what they're asking and what they're seeing. And so Jesus, as he's apt to do at times, speaks into what he sees in their hearts. Because here's what he said. He says to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Now, if I was sitting there, I'd say, I didn't say that. That's not what I said. But Jesus is looking into their hearts and he sees, oh, what they really want is, hey, Native son has come home. We've heard a lot about what he's doing in Galilee. Let's see if he'll do that here. Now, does this not go back really? And again, I think Luke has placed it here on purpose. 
Does this not go back to what the enemy was trying to get Jesus to do? Hey, if you really are the son of God, show off. Do this. Stones into bread. Cast yourself down. Angels are going to take care of you. Show up. And so they're kind of saying the same thing. Hey, isn't this... I remember how many times son is mentioned? Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. If you are the son of God, isn't this Joseph's son? And now they're saying, if you really are, show us. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. He's going back to the Old Testament. He's going to talk about no prophet is, has honor in his own hometown. Let's talk about Elijah. Elijah shut the heavens for three and a half years. There's a great famine. A lot of people starving. But who did Elijah minister to? Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He means the people in the nation of Israel. But to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Gentile. Not Jewish. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha. Let's go to the other great prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So he uses two Old Testament examples. And without going too much into the story, the widow in Zarephath, she was the one who was out gathering sticks. She was going to make a fire. Elijah comes along, says, hey, make me some bread. And she said, hey, funny you should ask. I'm going to make some bread for me and my son, and then we're going to die. And he said, well, make me some bread first, and then your oil will never run out and your flour will never run out. As long as this famine is continuing, you'll continually be fed. She has enough faith as a Gentile woman in the promise of the prophet that she does it. And as a result, oil and flour were there for her for the remainder of the time. She and her son survived. Elisha, you remember the story, Naaman, Syrian general, comes to Elijah. He gets sent over. He's got leprosy. By the way, Elisha doesn't even go out and see him. He sends his servant guy. Hey, go tell him to wash in the Jordan seven times. Seven, wasn't it? Seven times? I think that's the story. Just go with me. Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and then you'll be healed. Now, Naaman gets offended because he's like, I got rivers. I guess he could have sent me to another river somewhere. And one of the servants says to him, hey, just because he asks you to do something simple doesn't mean it's not big. What do you got to lose? Go wash in, wash in the river seven times. He goes, washes in the river seven times, and gets healed. And what Jesus is saying is, there are a lot of people starving, but they didn't receive the prophet. There are a lot of people who had leprosy, but they didn't receive, because the prophet was without honor. He is saying to them, you guys are worse than Gentiles. By the way, this makes them really mad. They get really angry. And so, here's what it says. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got out and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down from the cliff, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, there's so much here. So, without commenting too much, it's incredible how fast they turned, isn't it? They all thought well of him in his sermon. That's like two minutes ago. 
You talk about a crowd flipping on you. You, you, you talk about election stuff and a crowd could turn on you. But you talk about this stuff and they really turn on you. So much so that they were willing to kill him on the Sabbath. They didn't do anything on the Sabbath. I mean, they've got big news. You know, you see, they're going to accuse him later of doing stuff on the Sabbath, like healing people. But they're willing to kill him on the Sabbath. That's how mad they are. That they drove him out of town to the brow of the hill. And it says Jesus just walked right through him. Now, there's, it doesn't clarify here, like, was this a miraculous, like, walking through them? Or did he just say, I'm out of here and just walk through them? I, I don't know. I, I've always kind of chosen to believe it was miraculous, that it wasn't his time. Uh, but he, in any state, he, he goes on. He gets rejected in his own hometown because he dares proclaim the good news. When it comes right down to it, him saying he's the Messiah and he's come to proclaim good news and he's not received not only as a prophet, he's not received as the prophet. And as a result, they reject him. Now, we'll come back to this in just a minute. Here's the king's commission. In other words, what does this have to do with me? And that's where I want us to spend the rest of our time, which I'll try not to keep you too long, but this is so critical for us that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take as long as we need. The kids are freezing downstairs, but they'll be all right. They'll live. Your kids will live. Trust me. It says in Matthew 28, then Jesus came to them. This is at the end of his ministry. Them who? Who did he come to here in Matthew 28? I've skipped passages. Who does he come to? His disciples. He's come to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission, what the church is supposed to do. This, I don't think it's just for Jesus' disciples. This is for all of us. This is the mission. We've been co-missioned. Co if the mission of the king was, here's my premise. If the mission of the king was what we saw in Luke 4, the co-mission of the church is what we saw the king do when he proclaimed what he was here to do. You with me? Okay. So I think we've been given the same commission. We, today, have been given the same commission. It says in John, this, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Holy cow, do we really believe this? I mean, I know the words are there, but do we really Get a hold of this truth that we're going to do greater things? Now, some people say, well, well, what he meant by greater is that when the Holy Spirit comes upon the church, we're, we're greater because there's so many of us. <laughs> you could have a lot of people doing nothing, and that doesn't mean you're doing stuff greater. Right? I mean, greater means greater. In volume, and I think by the power of the Spirit, he means if we have faith, we're going to be doing what he did when he was here, proclaiming the good news, freedom, sight, oppression gone, 
We're going to be proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. We're going to be doing what he did when he was here. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. And it says, then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. They're in, um, I can't remember what city. Uh, it's, it's a double name. Uh, but anyway, they're in a city preaching. Uh, you think I'd be better prepared. I know the name of the city. It'll come to me in a minute. Thank you, Dave. Say it again. Pisidia and Alec. Thank you. And that's where they are. And Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly when the people said, we had to speak the word of God to you first since you rejected and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. You talk about really making people mad. I mean, look at what Paul is telling the Jews. We had to come and proclaim to you first in the synagogue the word of God, but since you don't want eternal life, <laughs> we now turn to the Gentiles. Same thing Jesus is saying. Basically, you either receive or you reject the word of God. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, this isn't the exact passage in Isaiah, but it's another passage from Isaiah that they're quoting to say, we have this same commission. We have this same mission that God has given us. And here's the important thing, I think, for us as a church. Paul and Barnabas were not there. Most likely when Jesus gave the Great Commission. So what they're saying is it, ex it keeps extending from disciples to disciples to disciples to disciples. We, we have this same, you, you can't excuse and say, oh, well, I wasn't there on the Mount of Olives when Jesus ascended and heard these words. So that doesn't apply to me. I, I'm giving you this because I'm thinking what Paul and Barnabas are saying is the same commission Jesus gave to the disciples extends to us and therefore to other followers of Jesus Christ. Second Kings, I don't really have time to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's such a great story. We, we have to change our mindset. We have to change our mindset. In Second Kings chapter 7, there's a story where a city called Samaria is being um, starved out. They're surrounded by an enemy army. And it's horrible, people. You go read Second uh, Kings 6 and 7, horrible. So horrible that they've resulted to cannibalism. You know, one woman gets mad at another woman because, and they go to the king and say, hey, basically, uh, we said that uh, we would have my baby for food yesterday and then her baby in the next week, and now it's come time for her baby and she won't give up her baby for us to eat. That's, I mean, it's horrible. The city's going to die. There are four lepers at the city gate. They're unaccepted in the city. They're unaccepted by the enemy. They're at the gate. And they're like, hey, you know what? If we stay here, we're going to die. Let's go out to the enemy's camp and throw ourselves at their mercy. Maybe they'll throw us some scraps of food. And if they, if they don't, they kill us and we die quicker. But we're going to die here. Now, this is key. They're an unaccepted group in the city in which they reside, and they're starving to death. So now they're going to go to this, the enemy's camp even, to get some food. Well, what they don't know is in the middle of the night, the Lord sends an angel of the Lord. The enemy gets so scared and uh, turns on each other and just flees the camp. So they're gone. Now, the people in the city, they don't know there's no enemy out here. They're acting like they're still an enemy. 
but the enemy is gone. So the four lepers go into the enemy's camp, and they're like, no one's there. And, they, and the enemy left everything. So they're gorging themselves on the Costco chickens that have been left behind, and they're just eating everything up, and they're gorging. They're sitting around the tent just full of food. And at some point, someone says, do you think we should go tell them? Do you think we should go tell those people that this is like it is? There's all the food they can have right here. To me, this is a picture of the church and the good news that we've received. We have life to give to the world around us. But sometimes we sit around and we say, you know what? Those people out there, they don't like me. They don't like us. They're mean to us. They're mean to me. I mean, the lepers, think about it. They could have said that. You know, they treat us really bad. We, they don't deserve for me to go tell them what's going on. But at least they have enough sense to say, we're not doing right. This is a day of what? It's a day of good news. We are keeping it to ourselves. Let's go and report this to the royal palace. People, we have the same commission. We have the gospel, the good news. It is our job to share it with the world around us. And again, you may be sitting here and say, well, they don't like us very much. They might reject me. I'll get to that point in just a second. We've also been given the same authority. I'm not going to say that, but I probably will stay in it longer than I should. But please remember, you have the exact same authority that the disciples were given when Jesus commissioned them. Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And his implication is, I'm passing that authority on to you. Now go and make disciples. And I believe we walk in that same authority. And it's the reason Paul prays that the church will know that we're far above rule and authority, power and dominion. Every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He's referring to Jesus. But he says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is what? His body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here's my truth again about what the church if you want to know what my ecclesiology is, my belief about the church, this is it. We are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We have the same authority. What the heck are we doing here? When we say it, we don't. Or we walk in such weakness or lack or complaining or grumbling rather than saying, praise God, I'm the fullness of of him who fills everything in every way. And I get to share this with the people around. We've been given the same authority. We've been given the same power. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I think this power carries out throughout our lives that we have received power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, we have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same power. We have the same authority to walk out what Jesus called us to do. Paul makes it clear that his preaching wasn't with wise words, but instead a demonstration of what? 
of the Spirit's power. Why? So that their faith wouldn't rest on Paul and his wisdom, but instead on the presence of God. Here's the final thing. I am to the final thing. You can expect the same response. Wait a minute, we jumped here. I have the same commission. I have the same authority. I have the same power. Guess what? You're going to get the same response. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means some are going to receive and some are going to want to take you to the brow of a hill and throw you off. In other words, you're going to get rejected. It's the truth. If, if you're looking to be part of a popularity contest where you make everybody like you, I, I've got a clue for you about life. It's never going to happen. Because what we're seeing in this day and age is no matter what side you are on, you're on the wrong side. And you say, well, I'm not going to pick a side. I'm going to be in the middle. Well, you picked a side. The middle is a side. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm just talking about life. And what is the calling of your life? I believe the calling of the church is both figuratively, spiritually, and literally to be proclaiming the good news. Seeing prisoners set free. Recovery of sight for the blind. I believe there's a healing aspect to the ministry of Jesus. That the oppressed wouldn't be oppressed. And that the year of the Lord's favor is here. We serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are his representatives. We are his ambassadors. And if you're looking to say, okay, what kind of church is fullness? This is us. This is what I believe God has called us to be. A people who did what Jesus did when he was here. Now, that's going to be pretty radical for some people. For some people, that's like, mm, I'd rather be a teaching center. Or I'd rather be a social ministry center. Or I would rather be... Now, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, all of those things are contained in that. But when you give a cup of water, you're giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus. There's a gospel proclamation in the way you even do social ministry. There's a gospel proclamation in the way we teach. There's a gospel proclamation in deliverance ministry. There's a gospel proclamation. Because if they're not accompanied with the good news, they're just stuff. People, I, I believe God is calling us to be him here now to the world around us. And for many of us, that calls for a radical transformation in the way we think and in the empowerment. Because if you're like me, you would say, that's beyond, I can't do that. Hey, you know what? You're right, you can't. But by the power of the Spirit, you can. Because the Spirit of, as Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Lord is on you. To do what Jesus did while he was here as the body of Christ. Lord, I pray this morning that we will receive and that we'll walk in your power and your might and your freedom. God, I pray that the church will do what you did while you're here. Lord, forgive us where in many ways we have underperformed, so to speak, 
because we've underexpected. Lord, I pray you would raise our expectations. That we would share the spiritual that you've given us. By the power of the Spirit, we would walk and be and do the fullness of him who fills everything in every way to the world around us. Lord, we thank you. Spirit of God, fill us up to overflowing afresh and anew this morning. Stand up with me. Before we leave, let's just... I believe... I believe we need to just soak in the truth that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as our King, as our Lord, and as a part of his kingdom and lordship, we're to do what he has called us to do. So this song, it's a proclamation of the good news of who we were and who we are now and how we do what we do now by his might and his power that is at work within us. Let's just worship him just for a minute before we leave.